What role does tax play in your supply chain decisions? It should play a pretty significant role, according to Jim Dawson of Global Tax Focus. And he joined me on the show last week to share the biggest reasons why you might be losing out if tax is not a focus in your current supply chain strategy. If you missed that one, don't worry. It's episode 135, wherever you subscribe to the Let's Talk Supply Chain podcast or under podcasts at letstalksupplychain.com. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. What is quality assurance? SQA believes that quality is getting what you paid for. Quality is spectacular, iconic, heroic, patient safety, safe flights, and astronauts to space. Quality is worldwide. SQA has a global footprint that supports complex and highly regulated supply chains. The partnerships SQA has created over 25 years have benefited through integrated strategies where SQA is able to support clients on an annual basis. Each year, SQA works with its client partners and their suppliers in over 70 countries, deploying a robust network of over 1,000 associates. SQA understands the complexity and challenges within a global supply chain, and our clients have seen that the results from SQA exceed their internal efficiencies. Annually, SQA performs 3,000 audits, 150,000 hours of component inspections, and 35,000 hours of engineering supplier development. Quality is what you put into it and how great you want it to be. For over 25 years, SQA has been a leader in assessing, monitoring, and improving supply chain performance. Quality is SQA, so come and join us. You can visit us at sqaservices.com. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. Last week, I was at the Container Exchange Conference as well as the Pacific Trade Conference and they were amazing. I can't wait for the rest of the conferences that are coming up this month. Plus, last week, we kick-started our mini-series with Tealbook, all about data, supplier relationship management. So you're not going to want to miss that one. Go and check it out under podcasts at Let's Talk supplychain.com. So today I'm thrilled to welcome a woman in supply chain who's been a key innovator in local government, bringing creative, strategic, and technology-driven solutions to procurement and business processes in the city of Sunnyvale and county of Santa Clara, USA. And she is now a trailblazer showing the sports and entertainment industry how important supply chains are to their organizations. I'm going to leave you with that little teaser and I'll introduce today's woman in supply chain after our question of the week. So the question of the week is what elements of a show or live stream about supply chain would get you to watch regularly? I love this question because with webinar fatigue, there's so much out there. There's so much content and I'm really just excited to hear what everybody has to say. So Carolina Vasquez, 
A combination of educational, informative, and real cases, including tips, successes, and failures, like learning from the experience. Matt Weller says, generally speaking, I wish there were more posts on system thinking in supply chain, productivity, and how to get things done in real-world scenarios. Uh, DC says, I stopped attending webinars a few weeks ago in part because they all seem to be high-level and pretty much saying the same thing and throwing around the same buzzwords. I'd really like to see more of exactly what you mentioned. Prakash, various speakers who either excel at their specialty or are on the journey to excel, which is great, Prakash. That means that you should be listening to our Woman in Supply Chain series because that's exactly who we feature on this series. Alvaro, I do think that at the beginning of the outbreak, um, we're okay, but later on, we were overwhelmed. Trendy topics, real cases, supply chain management foundations are the ones that could be good to watch regularly. William Cassidy, you've got a lot of great suggestions here. Most webinars do give a high-level overview of problems. Drilling down to the next level is important and getting to the problems people are experiencing day-to-day and how they can deal with them. Robert Garrison, my friend over at Mercado, I think it's always really interesting to learn how customers are responding to challenges of the day, adopting technology to meet their needs, or innovating their supply chains generally. Allison Koo my friend over in Australia, I would love to educate people on the options available to them. All I keep hearing about is people being held hostage to endless GRIs, surcharges, premiums, etc., and don't understand their basic contractual rights against carriers. Good one. Kate Powers, I would love to see a panel of students, recent grads who completed supply chain internships this summer and hear more about how those companies pivoted. That's a great one too. Victor Garcia, for me as technology, innovation, and economics. So thank you to everybody who weighed in on the question of the week. We do this every single Wednesday morning on all of our social media platforms and can't wait to hear what you have to say on our upcoming question of the week. So now back to today's podcast and the super inspiring woman in supply chain I have with me today is Genty Vandertwig. Born in India, Genty got her degree at Madras University University in Chennai, one of the oldest and most well-respected universities in India, before moving to the USA and pursuing a career in government. After more than 25 years spent transforming public sector procurement through designing and delivering pioneering new solutions, it was time for a change. And now Genty has a successful career in sports and entertainment, which is amazing. I cannot wait to hear more about that. So today, Genty will be talking to us about her journey from shy but ambitious girl to influential government leader to supply chain in sports and entertainment, overcoming challenges and finding her voice along the way. So welcome to the show, Genty. I'm so excited to be here with you, Sarah. Yeah, and I'm really excited for our chat today. I mean, we recently got acquainted on LinkedIn, of all things. You know, when you commented on one of my thoughts and coffee posts, your 
you have an interesting story, you know, moving countries, moving industries, and even moving mountains with some of the challenges that you faced. And and we're going to talk about some of those because I think even just this past couple of weeks, you've faced a bunch of challenges. And so, you know, you're a real inspiration for all of the up and coming women in supply chain. And you prove that as women, we don't have to restrict or pigeonhole ourselves. We can overcome obstacles and really, really drive success. So I'm excited. So let's just start at the beginning. Um, Growing up in India, what career did you have in mind for yourself and what were your ambitions? All right. So uh, here's how it started out for me. Growing up in India, I led a very privileged life with resources and having a career was really not on my mind. Uh, Coming from a very affluent family, one of uh, six girls, um, and living in a uh, not-so-metropolitan town where women were very progressive, uh, fortunately, my family was very progressive, and they let me um, venture out to uh, play sports, and I started golf when I was 15 years old, and I was very keen on being an amateur um, competitive golfer, um, and that was my passion. So Korea was not uh, into play in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, unfortunately, at the age of 19, uh, I got engaged uh, as part of an arranged marriage. And I succumbed to an arranged marriage at 20 years old. And wow. uh, needless to say, it was an economic arrangement for social and caste status. And uh, all my dreams of becoming an amateur national golfer were shattered when uh, this arrangement took place. And, um, you know, I decided I had to face my life at that time. Wow. I I couldn't even imagine, you know, having to give up your dream at such an early age. You know, how did you deal with that? You know, um, it, it is the culture. And, you know, 2020 is a different story compared to the 1980s. And uh, leading a very affluent life, but not having any independence and feeling treated as a second-class um, citizen as a woman, in mm-hmm. addition to being expected to be subservient, it uh, defied all the activities that are happened in my life, playing golf and meeting people and hanging out with my parents in a very mm-hmm. entrepreneurial family. So I had no choices to make my own choice. Right. Uh, so that by itself was a choice is either I follow this or I decide that I have to take um, my life in my own hands. Mm-hmm. And the price for the privilege uh, of living a, a very affluent life was too much for me. It was not mm-hmm. fulfilling and I was willing to give it all up. And in essence, I sum up my life as a struggle for victory of owning my own life, even if it meant starting from nothing. So that's right. my path from India to the United States. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's, that's what, what I want to get into next, because you went from India to America, you went, you went from India to the United States. And so why did you decide, I mean, you're talking about how you took control of your life. How did you do that? What made you decide to make the move to America? And why did you settle in California? Yeah. I mean, given that, you know, usually the story is when you go from rags to riches, but my story is from riches to rags. And in order to find that independence and the privilege of having my own life, 
I had to succumb to the arranged marriage and I ended up in the United States as part of the, uh, the arranged marriage deal. And I came to California and ended up in Mountain View when I was 21 years old. And, um, it, you know, it was, uh, it was very exciting to come to a for- country where, where I was dreaming of since I was nine years old. And I looked at the opportunity to uh, come here and see what I could do on my own. But at the same time, I didn't realize leading a very affluent life, what a struggle it would be because from leading a very affluent lifestyle, I went all the way to having nothing and coming to a place where uh, quite often immigrants who had very highly educated, I mean, who are very highly educated or had exceptional job skills were given immigration status. And here Mm -hmm. I was um, a wife of a, um, you know, of a uh, Indian student who came here, uh, lost her independence, and then I had to make the best use of my life. So I should say I started from nothing and I decided I have to take action to do something with my life, even though I'm starting from scratch in a foreign country. Yeah. And part of that, you know, starting over and taking control of your life was, I think, getting into supply chain and procurement. Um, And you can correct me if I'm wrong, there might be some uh, a journey in there that maybe you want to share before that. But you you also got started in local government, I believe you were on the supply chain and procurement side. Can you talk about that? How did you how did you get started? Okay, (laughs) Uh, here's the story. So, uh, you know, so back to the 1980s, there was no internet, there was no social media. And, uh, you know, even if I had to make a phone call to talk to somebody internationally, I had to make a trunk call and get an operator on the line and schedule a call in advance. So in that type of setting, when you have, uh, you're, when you're in a foreign country and you don't have any educational background uh, to, to start working, I had to lean on uh, talking to people as well as researching in libraries and one fine day, I looked up the yellow pages and I started calling some people to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to start volunteering and see if I can pick up some skills. And I have the aptitude as well as the right attitude to learn and be ready for that opportunity when the time comes when I can work for uh, for a living. So I did look up and I found um, uh, on the yellow pages an opportunity to volunteer for City of Sunnyvale. And I did get an opportunity to work in various departments, um, like the city manager's office, the mayor's office, uh, human resources, um, and the police department, Sunnyvale Police Department. And then ultimately, that ended up in the library, handling all the acquisitions. And one fine day, um, when I was talking to the purchasing director of uh, City of Sunnyvale, she says, hey, you make a great buyer. And I said, how so? And she said, you ask the right questions. And she took me under her wing and she mentored me all the way. And that's how I, I, my supply chain background and procurement background began. It just fell on my lap. And I had an excellent mentor to take me under her wing and uh, coach me to, um, to strive and, um, and attain my passion through all those various opportunities I had at, at the city of Sunnyvale, as well as made progress in other organizations I worked at. 
What an amazing story. And I talk about this all the time that you really need to try different things. Right. And, and so that's what you did on your path is that you were able to go into different departments, try different things. And, you know, one day fate, fate just sort of happened to be there and um, somebody recognized in you that you would be good in supply chain and procurement, which is amazing to me in itself. And, and that mentor was also a woman and, you know, the power of women supporting women is just shown in that example that you just, that you just gave. So what did that do for you? You know, having her as the mentor, what did, what did she do for you? What, what, what exactly was it that, um, really helped you in your career? You know, she saw some things in me that I didn't know about myself. She always thought I was very driven and competitive. And I'm like, competitive, I'm trying to struggle to learn some stuff here from you. And you're thinking that I'm, uh, I'm this uh, new kid on the block uh, with all this passion. So I didn't even know myself until I had to talk to her. And she saw my, my desire to uh, learn and excel and also came up with great I- new ideas, open for, to new ideas, that she gave me uh, opportunities to do projects that were very high profile because she had the confidence in me. And that gave me the courage to actually excel, learn. And um, back in the, in the early 90s, when I was in acquisitions and everything was manual, uh, she gave me the opportunity to actually uh, develop the e-procurement solution back in, in 1998, 1999 timeframe. And that type of a encouragement truly uh, gave me the passion to excel and take some chances to um, go further than what I thought I would anticipate for myself because security was everything after coming from an affluent family. Uh, I needed food, I needed shelter, and I also needed um, some level of comfort to survive. And uh, from having everything to not being able to even afford a 99 cents burger, and I waited eight months for it. Uh, my path was a struggle, but when opportunities came my way, I ran with it, and I also didn't have the fear of failure, as well as um, I don't, I didn't have any ego at any time, in spite of all of the background I had, and that helped me absorb and uh, learn things from others who are very good in their areas of expertise. Absolutely. So it's a story of, you know, drive. Yes. Really. It's Mm -hmm. what fueled you. It it was what, it's what really created your drive and ultimately ended up being your passion. And then the empowerment from somebody else, right? The the empowerment of somebody in your journey that really um, was an empowerment of, you know, trust her belief in me and her um, her uh, opportunity, giving me opportunities, really uh, taught me something that uh, you know there are very good people out there and who are able to lift you up. And when the opportunity arises, you you don't turn it down. And inaction is uh, is not an option. You rather try and fail and succeed. After many, many attempts. And that's something that I'm very fortunate that I had the opportunity in a foreign country. Even when I asked a volunteer as well as a paid employee, I took advantage of it. 
Mm -hmm. And how has that influenced your leadership style today? So, um, so during, uh, you know, the dot-com era in Silicon Valley, everything was uh, flowing like milk and honey. And the buzz was about e-procurement. And, you know, my uh, mentor put me in charge of studying the marketplace. So I went to quite a few conferences and I met some top executives who were implementing e-procurement solutions back in 1999-2000. So uh, I happened to be at one of the very few public sector professionals in those sessions. And I actually signed on a company for e-print solutions, believe me, back in 2000. So uh, that gave me an opportunity to try out uh, moving from city of Sunnyvale to the private sector for six to eight months and try out um, new opportunities. And then from there, uh, when the, you know, the dot-com bust happened, I moved on to bigger and better opportunities as a contractor working at um, County of Santa Clara back in 2001. And within a matter of two year time frame, I actually went from a contractor to a IT procurement manager to actually the head of procurement in um, uh, the sixth largest populous um, county in the uh, state of California, handling two and a half billion dollars in uh, spend of supplies and services. Yes. Amazing. So yeah. just one opportunity, you know, one opportunity that somebody gave you in your journey and look, look what you've been able to do with that and look what you've been able to do with your career. And we're going to get more into that as we keep talking about your journey to success. But I want to, I want to come back to some of the challenges. So what were, I know we talked about, you know, obviously coming to a new country and, and having the challenges of, you know, finding work and, and having to support yourself and things like that. What were some of the challenges, though, along the way um, outside of that? And how did you overcome them? Yeah, there were many, many uh, factors that were very challenging to me. First, you didn't see immigrant women in the government administration. They were more into software engineering or doctors, very accomplished uh, with, you know, with uh, degrees. And um, I actually really didn't fit in, in in the public sector administration area. And I had a pretty heavy accent. and. Uh, there are specific protocols on how government executives uh, behave and conduct themselves because they're in the public forum. So those were all numerous challenges. But for me, it was very exciting because one of my strengths is, um, other than being an achiever and a very responsible person, learning is a very key strength of mine. So I actually uh, learned from other people and asked around and tried to advance my skill sets as well as my um, my communication skills with in the public sector area. And I should tell you that uh, even though the public sector, uh, you see there's very many men uh, in executive positions. I was very fortunate that I worked at two public organizations where women were held at, um, at high esteem and given positions if they were able to 
demonstrate that they had leadership and technical capabilities. So I was very fortunate and I got lucky that I got this opportunity, but it didn't come easy because when I applied for the head of procurement, I was rejected because I did not have the level of experience and I actually challenged it. And through uh, several rounds of interviews with external um, uh, you know, interview panels, I actually came out at the top and I'm very fortunate that the county executive uh, gave me an opportunity to be the head of a uh, very prominent county in the state of California. And I took that um, position with a lot of pride and, um, and joy, but also with the with a passion that I have to excel and demonstrate my integrity and my commitment to serving the public, which I did for the last, for like 20 years. That's amazing. It gives me, that story gives me goosebumps. I mean, that's, you know, that I, I love the fact that you went for the position and even though they came back to you and said, you know, no, you don't have the qualifications. And then you still went ahead and were and challenged them to the point where you were able to get the job and you've done the job and you did the job well, right? To a point where you could actually excel um, within that position and then f- further on in your career. Yes, I'm very proud to say, you know, when I was at City of Sunnyvale, I never had to type a resume because as a volunteer, I, I was known. I worked in so many departments. Everybody knew Genty, and they were wondering why Genty was working for free. So uh, applying for the contractor position was easy because during the dot-com bust, the government needed a lot of help. And I came with a lot of experience from a very uh, well-known uh, and accomplished uh, city of Sunnyvale, where the president of um, United States visited and talked about an example for reinventing government. So I came from a very, um, you know, powerful organization, but at the same time there was a need and I was able to jump in and do the work. So when I had to apply for the job as a a head of the department, there were 24 staff and um, that was back in 2004. That was my first few times I had to even type up a resume and to show the interview panel my talent and my expertise. So I had to come out with all my passion and demonstrate my sincere um, interest in advancing my profession while serving the community. Amazing. Amazing. And, and so, you know, in talking about that example of how you um, challenged them and were able to get that position, what was the leading journey up until that point of how you found your voice? Like, what was the day that you found the voice that you felt comfortable enough to be able to challenge something like that? Where were you in your career? What was the scenario and how was it received? So, so I tell you a funny story. So when I, I appealed and um, I gave it my best shot, the last thing I expected was, hey, they'll turn around and I would be one of the top candidates in the, during the interview. So when I got the job offer, my heart skipped a few beats. And it was not because I knew <laughs> I could not do the job, but it was like, oh, my God, I have to speak in public. And oh. I am so scared of public speaking. What do I what would I do? Uh, and then I had to just I talked to a couple of other people and 
they're like, Jinti, come on, you're full of courage and confidence and you should be able to do this and you can learn. So I got to let you know that even though I'm sharing this story as a very courageous person, there was a lot of fear, especially coming from a country like India, where you had no choices. And suddenly I'm making all these massive big choices. And then I am also facing the consequence of it. And mm. so a uh, uh, few things in the public sector, you, you, you hire staff as, as part of the civil service rules. And um, it goes through heavy testing and stuff. It's actually not through talent, but how you pass your test. And do, during those days back in 2000s, uh, people who did not have any other area to be placed because of layoffs were placed in procurement because it was seen as an administrative function where you typed up purchase orders and was directed to do by the customer. So that's the type of organization team that I actually uh, led from the beginning. But I knew I had the vision and the passion from my entrepreneurial background from my family and I knew that uh, in order to do this, I had to uh, learn, read, uh, look at all the examples in the private and public sector. And there were not too many public sector um, examples to follow. But I came from a very accomplished organization where the, my mentor had revised the purchasing ordinance and stuff. So I had a lot of very good uh, examples to emulate in a setting where everything, anything you touched, you made a difference. So I feel that in a way, even the challenge was a huge opportunity for me because mm -hmm. I was quickly recognized that, hey, uh, this is worth um, a selection. And we're glad we picked her because uh, she's making a difference. And I'm glad, I want to say uh, 17 years later, the department grew from 24 to 75 and we had 19 different nationalities and one of the uh, first in the United States to have implemented an e-procurement solution in the cloud with no assistance from any consultants and we actually were successful. So in order to do that, we had to focus on people, process and technology. It was uh, very hard because the customers always did not appreciate procurement. Uh, they thought we we wanted to get things done right and they needed to get things done. And in between this, we had to work towards uh, meeting that challenge and experiencing that pain through, uh, through multiple steps of learning ourselves and how to serve our customers while at the same time holding our um, position as uh, procurement professionals and listening to the clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And I love that you were able to grow the department um, in that way, you know, and it's, it's, it just goes to show, you know, your drive and your passion and uh, how dedicated you are. Yeah. And so, you know, I want to talk to you about your career change because you, you, you know, after 25 years in government and, and what we've been talking about for most of this interview, um, you have changed your career, not from supply chain and procurement, but in kind of industry related. So can you tell us a little bit about that? What drove you to change and are you enjoying it? Yeah. So um, as we talked about finding your voice, right? I, finding a voice is just not uh, 
you know, talking or speaking up, or like I said, I had a, um, I, I was nervous about public speaking, but uh, as I mentioned to you about finding the voice to actually step it up and lead an organization and, and uh, make a substantial change in serving the public, uh, you know, there was one incident I want to share with you is where I was, I attended a class for public speaking or speech skills, and I was the only executive, but I had the lowest voice and the, and I could not uh, speak up. So when, when that happened, I learned that in spite, communication is very, very important. You may be courageous, you may have the confidence, uh, and you may have the moral compass to do the right, right things, especially when you're handling public monies. But at the same time, if you don't have a voice to communicate, uh, it's, most of it is within and it's lost. And that actually helped me uh, advance my own team as well as enhance my own career path in moving from uh, one industry to the other. And um, as I completed my um, uh, public sector life uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to uh, teach at the UC Santa Cruz Silicon Valley Extension Supply Chain Management. So I have an opportunity to keep myself intellectually stimulated. But at the same time, I got an opportunity to uh, help this uh, San Francisco um, 49er football company to with their procurement transformation. And while I hesitated to take it, take that on, uh, knowing that there's a public-private partnership, I think that's the best um, uh, decision I made since I moved on from the public sector. I started again from scratch, like I left my my life in India and I came to the United States from starting from scratch, um, starting off with working with the San Francisco 49ers. I, um, nobody knows who I am. Uh, nobody knows I was a chief procurement officer at um, County of Santa Clara. They knew that I had public procurement background, which they'd like to have because of the public-private partnership. And there I was back again, learning um, in that learning mode. And it was an amazing experience uh, being around uh, accomplished professionals, um, learning how health is so important and fitness is so important. And at the same time, the amazing logistics that happened uh, when 60 or 65,000 people are there for a game and how everything happens in amazing, uh, with amazing level of um, uh, uh, coordination. And then once the game stops and everybody's left the stadium, it's amazing how in a matter of few hours, the logistics crew uh, handle all of the stuff, which I'd never actually experience in the public sector, even though I right. was uh, heavily involved in technology and medical patient care contracting. So my eyes are open. Again, I'm learning and I'm contributing heavily. So this opportunity to work in a different vertical is very exciting at this stage of my life. And I can also uh, contribute in different ways as well as learn. And I'm looking forward to working with different types of um, talents uh, which I never had in the public sector. So it's like a brand new life for me. 
Amazing. Amazing. I love that story. I know I just remember the first time that that you and I got on the phone and you were telling me that story. And I I just love that story. You know, I love that you went from the the public sector, you know, to the San Francisco 49ers and you know how different but how similar it's been and how much you've been able to contribute. And I, I'm sure that they are very lucky to have you. So we talked about a lot today, right? We talked about a huge journey, you know, moving countries, sounds like moving mountains, you know, a journey of, of learning, um, self-love even. Yeah. So what have you learned about yourself on this journey so far and what does the future hold for you? You know, people talk about finding your voice and I just happened to see on um, LinkedIn today on, on the, uh, you know, the female lead and there was Meghan Markle talking about helping uh, women find their voices. And it's sort of, she fundamentally disagreed and said, women don't have to find a voice. They have a voice. They need to feel empowered to use it. And people need yeah. to be encouraged to listen. I mean, that mm-hmm. pierced my heart today. That's exactly about my life because I didn't have a voice. Uh, I I thought I didn't have a voice in India. I did have a voice, but I was scared. I was scared of humiliating my family. I was scared of disappointing my parents. I was scared of being ridiculed in society where women don't didn't have a voice. So I went through a very hard life to fi- to find my voice but at the same time based on all the challenges and the opportunities that i uh, had along the way in this last 35 years i think it's a privilege that you do have a voice and utilize it and the amazing ability to network and find people because at the lowest times in my life i found that there were some gems who actually lifted me up Mm -hmm. many, many times, whether it was in my career, my personal life, uh, you know, friendships, colleagues. Uh, So I I should say I feel lucky that I've had those opportunities because I did leave on my own volition. And uh, it's hard to be from riches to rags, let me tell you, (laughs) much easier when you have it the other way around. But I also want to say during those lowest moments in your life, there were such amazing people that you don't lo- lose um, confidence in humanity and also mm-hmm. don't lose yourself and be able to believe that uh, that's good and bad and how you make use of it is um, very important. I love that. I love that. No. So in, in closing, what's one piece of advice you think you would give to girls and women looking to follow in your footsteps? You know, uh, it's it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic that nobody, um, you know, imagined would happen. And a lot of young college girls coming out, especially in Silicon Valley, where life was, you know, the last 10 years has been booming. And then they su- suddenly they graduate. And my daughter is one of them. And I just want to let you know that she, my daughter uh, went to school in Santa Clara University and she just graduated this June. And I'm thinking, oh man, how lucky. I wish I had that education. I would have fast-tracked about 10, 15 years what I did. And when we were having a conversation two weeks before she graduated, 
she couldn't eat her food and she was crying. And I was, we were like, Maya, what's wrong? I thought some had something happened with her boyfriend or something. And she said, you know, don't understand. It's so hard um, trying to find a job in, in this field. And we're like, hey, it's computer science. Girls are STEM, so well um, encouraged. And my husband's like, look what Genty's done. Uh, you know, she's braved uh, coming from a foreign country and she's done really well. And then all I could hear was she's like, you have no idea how hard it is. Uh, when I was she, when she was going to school, uh, the boys would not uh, join her for any labs. And she went to study abroad in Singapore and nobody would join her. In fact, she had uh, low grades because of that uh, level of uh, lack of confidence in herself. And uh, she was in tears. So when we talked about it, she says, Mom, it's plateaued the time when you guys came in the 80s and you had to there was more uh, effort given for emulating uh, women in society than it is now, because now it's a given if you're in computer science, oh yeah, women have it easy, but it's not. So that I took it to heart to say, you know, we're quite judgmental. We think, okay, if you have a degree, everything will be easy. Or if you're beautiful and, you know, don't have an accent, things will be easier. But everybody goes through different types of hardships and uh, life is challenging and it's easy to get very discouraged. So I learned from her. I learned from all these young uh, students now in their 20s. And I want to share my life story with these people and pay it forward because they're very good people who helped me, lifted me up when I was so down. And I want to be able to say, you trust in yourself, dig deep and find courage and take those small baby steps and learn from it. Don't try to make the giant leap and then, um, it's, uh, then you know, be discouraged when things don't happen the way you want it to. And also people yeah. always talk about being lucky. You know, luck comes, luck happens to people who are work hard and when the opportunity arises. So my advice to people, the young people, young girls and women is um, to work hard and persevere and believe in yourself. And uh, someday it will come through. And it's at the least unexpected time when your hard work pays off because of the opportunities in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think also empower each other, yes. right? Yes. It, it really takes, it really takes everybody to be intentional about the support and how we can really empower each other. And so we can all really move forward. Absolutely. So fabulous. Um, yeah. I am, you know, Genty, you're so inspirational. There's a lot of great insight here for women in supply chain. And if anybody's looking to hear more about Genty, about the episode, you can find that under episode 136, wherever you subscribe to the podcast, Let's Talk Supply Chain, or at letstalksupplychain.com, either on our Women in Supply Chain page or under the podcast page as well. And don't forget to come back next week when we'll be joined by Mikel from Solutions and Decisions. He'll be telling us all about his impressive career in supply chain transformation and talent development in both multinationals and family-owned businesses, spanning over 26 years to date, and you're not going to want to miss that. But thank you so much, Genty, for coming on the show today, sharing your insights, sharing your story. 
sharing your heart. We really appreciate you. Thank you, Sarah, for the opportunity. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach in the global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you enjoy our podcast, there are a few ways to support the show. Make sure that you follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, the SC Supply Chain TV over on YouTube. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at letstalksupplychain.com. Next, visit, visit ships shipz.com and sign up. We are in full beta. And if you are a mid-market shipper that wants to streamline the pricing of your air freight and ocean freight shipments, gain access to more choice worldwide and utilize the best of data to reduce shipping risks, then you won't want to miss out on our platform. So go and check us out there. You can also find some really cool merch and purchase our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.